Some of the content in this episode may be sensitive or distressing to some listeners. Welcome to Wise Up Governance and Boards podcast, brought to you by Three Wise Owls Governance Consultants, covering hot topics in governance, risk, latest regulatory changes, and issues keeping directors and executives awake at night. Here are your hosts, Ainsley Cunningham and Deb Anderson. So welcome to another episode of Wise Up. Today we are joined by Mark Nuss, who is the Business Development Manager for Destiny Rescue, a not-for-profit organisation dedicated to rescuing children trapped in the sex trade. Welcome, Mark. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity that I can share about Destiny Rescue and what we do. I think we're one of the best-kept secrets in Australia, so... We've been doing this for 18 years, but yeah, thank you so much. Tell us how you got involved with Destiny Rescue. Yes, well, how I got involved is um, one of my best mates, uh, I, uh, as you can hear, I've got South African accent, so excuse that, but I've been living here for 20 years in Australia. And um, one of my best mates, that I, one of the guys I met right from the beginning, and we're still best mates, is uh, his name's Carl, and, and uh, um, I found out from Destiny Rescue through him, and him and his wife were... In 2011, they they were they were moving over to Thailand to go and work at one of our centres there, and uh, my wife and I um, got involved by um, funding them to be part of the funding campaign to get them over there and look, you know, and then giving them money as, as for the period they were staying there to help them so that they can do the work they were doing for Destiny Rescue. So I got involved from a giving point of view, from a funding point of view, and then kept on donating along the way, and then. Um, over a year and a bit ago, got a got a call from Destiny Rescue, and they said, "Do you want to do more?" And they knew that I have give it your all. Yeah, I've journeyed. <laughs> I've journeyed with them for quite a long time already, and and they said, "You want to?" Do more? And it was for I don't even have to think twice. It was split second. Yes, what can I do? And um, and that's how I got involved. So now I'm full time with Destiny Rescue, and it's been a great journey for me. So I've I really love it. And so, what's your role? My role is uh, is is um, is to interact with um, our existing donor base because we're a hundred percent not for profit. Um, we don't get any assistance from any government levels, although we help uh, government de- certain government departments internationally, and even have been involved with the federal police uh, uh, um, from Australia as well. But we don't get any assistance anywhere. But we're a tier one registered not for profit with the Australian government. And so get our money through donations. So my role is to spread the news, um, get the word out there about what we do, and also to, yeah, to help, help people who want to maybe fundraise for us and like getting onto podcasts and vodcasts and so forth to spread the news and tell what we do. And then I've also had the privilege to go, on, um, go undercover in, um, with our permanent undercover teams um, in Cambodia and in Thailand and to see firsthand and be part of it firsthand to see what it takes to rescue those children out of these hell holes we find them in. And that was really, for me, it brought it really home what, uh, you know, I see the, I count it as a total privilege to go with our permanent guys. We've got guys, um, a permanent gentleman all over the, uh, we're in seven different countries and um, mostly Southeast Asia. So we've got, we're in the Philippines, in Cambodia, Thailand, and the Dominican Republic, and then we've also got a few other undisclosed nations, just purely for political sensitive reasons. We can't mention them on air, sure. but um, and, but we're and what and what we usually do is we've got two types of rescue. I'm kind of just launching to explain part Absolutely. of my journey with this, and um, we've got what you call a soft rescue, 
and and then also uh, um, uh, hard rescue, which is is uh, um, what we do with the local federal police. So soft rescue is where we go in undercover into bars, karaoke bars, brothels, and in some real dingy places. And we basically act like we're sex tourists because sex tourism is a huge, huge thing. And um, and uh, um, the problem with is is it's a Western created problem. Mm-hmm. So like Australian government last year in the Sydney Morning Herald, there was an article about um, that the government guesstimates, and this is only a guesstimate, that about two hundred and uh, uh, um, about two hundred and fifty thousand men travel uh, to Thailand for sex tourism every year just from Australia. Now you multiply wow. that from all the different countries. You know, people are from Germany, from from England, from South Africa, from everywhere. So that's why we can go undercover because, like, like why you know when I went with, when I went undercover on my on my tri- trips there to Cambodia and Thailand, is I look like the perpetrators. I mm. I, I look like them. So you fit the stereotype. Yes, I like. fit the stereotype very well, <laughs> and um, and so that's how we can go into these places, and they wouldn't know us for a difference. And we and and we've learned how to. To handle ourselves that we don't stand out the whole thing is you don't want to stand out and and then that way we can go in there and then we then we start you know uh, um looking for underage children that have been trafficked into it and it's amazing how many is just there right there in the open mm. and um you know my own experiences when one of the first places we went into um i i saw this one young girl and and, and i called her across and asked her to come sit with me so for her i just was another perpetrator you know another Another John sitting there calling her over and and, but the the, the thing that really hit me is there I was sitting with this girl and I've I've got a I've got um, four children and my two younger ones are twelve and ten years old, and here I'm sitting to a girl next to a girl and I've worked out her age was around the thirteen year old girl sitting next to me so nearly nearly the same age as my own daughter. Mm. Okay, this is somebody's child sitting next to me being forced to do something that she would have never dreamed to do, so. Yes, it really hits home, and so um, that's what part of what drives me to want to get the word out so much. Because I'll think always of that thirteen-year-old that I was sitting next to, yeah, and going, absolutely. "We're the reason." And we're the the reason why we go undercover is because they don't have a way of putting their hand up and say, "Help me." Uh, the worldwide the, the World Labour Organization guesstimates, and remember, this is all illegal activity, so they can only do guesstimates. They they guesstimate about every twenty-six seconds a child is forced into sex trafficking. So as we're having this conversation, another child's been forced into it, and we've been. Going, it depends how long we go on with this, but every twenty-six seconds. And how uh, are you finding um, with the um, travel restrictions at the moment? Is there a slowdown in this sort of? Um, yes, it's 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 a double-edged sword. Um, yes, thank goodness for that point of view that a lot of perpetrators and Johns can't fly over and, and do this. But what it's done is driven it more underground. So it's actually what it's done for us is. Is, is our undercover guys have had to really up their ante and work even hard, even with the restrictions they've got there. Because what happens is these organizations, this kind of go further underground. And, and we've had, our guys have already seen that some bars, it'll look like some of these brothels, it looks like they're closed, but they're actually open in the back, you know. So all the lights are out of the front, but they're still operating at the back. And also what's, what's really pushing further now is also online uh, um, abuses happening. And we've started getting into online abuse, uh, 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 um, infiltrating certain networks there um, with the help of, you know, uh, um, uh, we were talking when we were talking earlier there, um, that there was a, a two and a half year old boy that we, we helped rescue 
um, and it was a combined work through the British and uh, British intelligence and the uh, um, uh, um, and the uh, um, local Philippines uh, um, anti-trafficking department and uh, and us and we were fortunate enough to set up a sting and our guys interacted with them and and the, these guys and like for example this guy was was basically taking it was a stepdad and he was taking pornographic material of him abusing his child uh, stepchild two and a half year old and and putting it on the dark web and and um and he was also organizing for pedophiles to come and fly over and abuse his child and that's how we got into it so we set it up and um with the help of the two dif different federal departments and um from england and from from uh, um from uh, the philippines and we set it up and fortunately we took possession of the child and did the money changeover and the man and his wife are now in jail we organized it all and that's just i mean i can tell you <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of stories yes, but well. but so the unfortunate with COVID, getting back to that that's what's happening you're finding out that the online uh, um, online is is increasing and also what we really believe and we're preparing for it is there will be a flood of, of of children once all of these restrictions are lifted because unfortunately what happens with also these all these restrictions poverty is a lot of times the mo the motivating factor mm -hmm. behind it so um and there's so many different ways that these children get caught so a lot of people just think it's just parents that sell their kids and that happens but a lot of it is, is these children get duped and but the pressure is finance so when you've got all these restrictions uh, um, it doesn't really help the the, the impoverished uh, groups in all of these different nations and so and that's and that's what we're realizing there will be a flood of 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 children forced into this once everything's opened up so we've got to prepare for that as well yeah and then with the slowdown of um tourism and yes uh, yeah that income, income yeah that's right yeah. that's right it's got a huge knock on effect and we've seen even from last you know when, when the, there was the financial crisis um around that period of time that's also when these activities increased after that or the fallout of that was also more and more kids found they found themselves unfortunately in these um, vulnerable positions to be exploited and do you have um in terms of i guess uh rehabilitation type programs and um sort of providing them an alternative income stream yes. so that they're not engaging in this sort of activity yes yeah, so what we do is it's 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 so multifaceted the whole thing um and so um what we do is once we rescue the children, so uh, um, they, and they got there for, through different avenues. So, so some of them is purely, uh, you know, one of the major stories or main stories that's always repeated in different ways is you'll have a child and, you know, she's 12 years old or 14 year olds or whatever age they are, but still young. Their parents just battle looking after them and they said, all right, so they feel the pressure to want to help their family. So they said, okay, I'll go to the big city and look for work. And, you know, like, well, I'll give you one example. We had uh, uh, these two girls that they were in northern Thailand. Um, and, and uh, a lady actually uh, came into the small rural town and just said, hey, I need uh, two girls who are looking for work to come and work at a, at a restaurant um, that I own. You know, do you want to come? Or who's looking for work? So these two friends, 15-year-old girls, put their hands up and said, yeah, we, we'll go. You know, and didn't know where they were going. Thought it was just kind of, a, you know, just down the road. Ended up traveling uh, in, in the back of like a ute for, for two hours and find themselves at this bamboo hut in the middle of nowhere. And uh, once they were in there, they were basically gang raped, 
forced, uh, you know, these two girls were virgins, had no idea, and basically were, were, uh, were broken in. And then were from that moment sold for sex. And this, so a lot of times these kids think they're going for work, but then they get forced and railroaded into this. And that story is over and over and over in different, different versions, but that's basically the gist of what happens. But once we find them and we rescue them, and like we rescued these two girls, um, once we find them and rescue them, we take them to our rescue centers. And it's happened so many times because just think of this. The girls met us, uh, our, our undercover guys, and we in the, initially we just looked like another dirty John that's walked in, right? So, and so how desperate have you got to be that when we start showing them this is we do, but they, they've been lied to so many times. We could just be another story that we're telling, you know, another storyteller and they could get themselves in the worst place. But just shows how desperate these girls are going to be that they're willing to go with a complete stranger because we've got to get their permission. That they'll finally say, yes, okay, I, I do trust you certain element. And they go with us. So we book them out as we're going to abuse them in a hotel and we disappear with them. And we take them to our rescue centers then. But the amazing, most amazing thing is to see those faces when the, we drive into our compound and the, we, we always get the girls that are already there to come and greet them and to see the relief in their faces that what we told was true and that they are now in a safe place. And so once we get them, once they're there, what we find with all, a lot of these girls, they sleep for two days without stop because yeah. of what they've gone through and the trauma and everything. Mm -hmm. And then in our rescue centers is then when we basically we give them a week to kind of settle down and, you know, just, just you kind of get back to some form of normality. And then we start doing stuff like we'll do medical checkups. They get medically assessed because some of them have venereal disease um, because they've been raped and everything else. So we, we, we give them medical help. We give them the psychological help. And um, we, um, we, uh, um, we also take them then through because they've been traumatized through a trauma counseling process. And then we also start assessing them, where are, where's the education levels? Like for example, in Cambodia, we'll find that some of these girls don't even know how to read and write in Khmer. So we, 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 we help them with that by, by uh, obviously start teaching them how to read and write because we, part of it, we've got to up their skill levels. Like coming back to your question, sorry, it took a little. No, that's okay. And I keep on bumping the mic here. I apologize, <laughs> but yeah. So we go, and um, uh, uh, so we start assessing where they are with their schooling, and then start helping them with their schooling. But then also we look at what what type of uh, what's the area because we're we believe in the principle of um, um, give a man a fish, you feed them for one day, but uh, teach them how to fish, you feed them for for life and they can look after themselves and their families. So we're not naive enough to think, oh, you know, you know, just, just help them patch them up and send them off. No, you've got to give them all the tools that they will not find themselves back in that position again. And that's why we've got such a high success rate of the girls never falling back into that or getting caught back into that type of industry. So what we do is then we'll assess them and see, like, for example, in Cambodia, we've got in-house, we've created a... a um, a beauty, uh, train them up to become beauticians. But when we say beauticians, there it is, hairdressing, nails, and, uh, and, and makeup. And so some girls will go for that. Um, last year, just in Cambodia alone, I think we, we had uh, um, uh, um, 24 girls uh, um, uh, graduate from that program. So, um, and then we, give, we set them up with, uh, when they go, if it's safe for them to go back to their own village and to be with their family, we actually will send them with product and gear as a startup kit to be able to start up their own little business there. 
those that aren't safe, you know, they can still, st uh, um, we look after them. If it's not safe to go back, they'll stay around where we are and we'll, and, and, but we'll set them up there. But we've also got a lot of other businesses. While I was in Cambodia, there was a, a organization called a Bloom Cafe, for example. They'll take the girls on who are, are interested uh, to go in that direction. They'll train them up to become patisserie chefs. And they'll train on them for two years and then employ them afterwards as well. But, but also what they found there is that other restaurants, they've also been asking for these schools because they've been trained so well to, to come and work for them. And, and, um, so, and, and with our aftercare, I'll, I'll give you one story if you don't mind. I know I've been, Absolutely. but, but it's no, the aftercare great. is so important because the rescue is one part, but what you do with them after is so vitally important for their future. And so that's why the essence of us, why we call Destiny Rescue. We rescue them to put them back where they can choose their own destiny. So it's not something that's forced upon them, but they can choose the life they want to live. And so um, one of the things we've got is, um, I'll, I'll just, I'll just, it's not real names because we've got to protect the girls we work with, but um, I'll just say Rana. Rahana, um, what, what we, um, she was a girl that we rescued in, uh, and um, I won't say the nation, just purely just to protect her as well, but um, Rana, we rescued her and we were trying to work out, she didn't seem to really, nothing really fitted for which direction to take her, you know. We helped her with reading and writing, and, but just didn't know where else to take her. And so uh, um, then one of our uh, workers there uh, at our home saw that she was drawing a lot. And, and, and so, okay, well, let's, and then looked at her drawings and she was actually quite a good uh, little artist. And so we, we paid for her to go into a, a local uh, um, Japanese art school to get formal training. And then their country wanted to, um, uh, um, then she went through that program. Um, and then after that program, uh, um, we found out that the, there was a new organization that was starting up that wanting to get into the um, animation business, movie animations and so forth. And she went in for an interview and she, she got the interview and now she's a digital animator. Okay. So what a change from what a change from being in a place of no hope, forced into something she would have never dreamed to be involved in. Her childhood stolen, but yet our agents came across her and rescued her out. And can I just add one thing for us, what makes us different from a lot of organizations, because you've got a lot of fabulous organizations that are there that because it's such a huge problem that are they helping uh, um, these children that have been trafficked. But um, what makes us different from probably a lot of other organizations out there, and I use the analogy, is like when you've got the sort of life-saving, you've got the overall arm that uh, will, uh, um, that, that advertises and, and, and says, you know, swim between the flags, you know, watch out for rips, which are very all important. We need to hear those messages and be educated. And, you know, so that's an awesome part of that arm. But in the day when you're in the waves and you, and you find yourself in trouble, you want a surf lifesaver right there in the waves with you, and that's us. We go into the dark places, the places that people wouldn't dream even exist, and the dingy places, and you name it, we'll go in there and we'll look for these children. So we're in the waves with them. And we'll, when we see them, we'll find them and we'll rescue them. So from a cultural perspective, it's probably mm -hmm. quite difficult for some of the um, rescued children to integrate back into their families. Yes, so uh, in certain cultures, like some of the nations that I unfortunately can't mention, specifically one, it's it, it's a huge problem. Uh, with them, there we can't reintegrate them with the with their community because, uh, um, like we had a well one case we had where the 
the um, uh, uh, the uh, um, the uh, uh, the sister. So the mother died. The sister looked after the family, but the s- sister sold her niece when she was thirteen to a brothel, and so we rescued her. But what happened is, after we rescued her, um, her her brother, uh, um, who was in a different town, actually ended up putting a hit out on her because it was it, he saw it as bringing shame to their family. Right. What she got, her, she never chose to be in that, yeah. but she was forced in that, and that happens to so many times. So in that country specifically, we can't get them back to their family, and if their family was also totally innocent out of it, sometimes we'll help the family actually move out of the area. Because you can't bring them back into the community. So, yes, in certain communities. And we also really make sure we look after the girls. So when we, if we reintegrate them in other countries with their families, because the World Health Organization says it's, if you can reintegrate these girls with their families, if it's safe to do so, we, we'd go and determine if it's safe. We, we send our social workers going and community workers will go out and look and do assessment um, if it's safe to get. If it's safe, we'll get them back. But we never tell them where we found their child. We don't say your child was involved. That's up to the child if the child wants to uh, divulge that. So we'll protect the the child's identity and what they got, the, what they went through stays with us. So when we talk to the families, we'll just say we just uh, she came across our path. We're just a benevolent organisation, and we won't go and give further details really of where we found her. And does it take a bit of? How long does it take to build the rapport and trust? Well, see, the amazing, yeah, see, sometimes it takes quite a long time to build a trust with some of these girls because some of these girls have been, are so damaged that even if you show them, because we'll quietly show them what we do in photos of who we rescued, but, I mean, they're still taking a chance. I, I could just be another person that's telling a story. And so some of our undercover guys have had to, you know, the longest we've had, which is very long, it was up to two years, but that's the minority. Usually it's, it's three to five visits, that we'll visit with them, that, that's, when, that's usually where it sits. But we've had cases where, like, uh, um, our guys went into, uh, um, into just a little, it's called a bus stop, but it's basically a bunch, uh, buses do come around there, but it's, but it's basically uh, uh, um, just a whole bunch of bars and brothels kind of in a U-shape, kind of all around an oval type of form. And we went into one, and, and our guys walked into it, and it literally was just a dirt, uh, kind of a concrete floor. There were these little curtains along the way with beds behind it like and uh, and 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 our guys that were there said said they don't know how desperate you have to be to want to even lie in those beds but that's where they would so rightly the guys would just take the girls and go and do whatever they wanted to do and they were talking to these two girls there and they were and and they felt at that moment that it's not safe for these girls to stay one second longer there and so basically within five minutes they broke their cover told them what they're doing there and these girls, so within five, they only met these guys for five minutes. They tell them what they're doing and said, do you want to go with us? The girls said, yes, they said, just walk down this dirt road a little bit, but we'll wait for you there. The girls kind of snuck out, went there and went with them. No idea where they were going. Driving in the dark with, on, on the back of the bikes of our guys. No idea where they're going. But that just shows how bad it was for them there, that they would rather take a chance with a complete stranger. And that was within five minutes. And we've had cases like that. And in terms of, um, I guess, your tactical teams, do they have to have um, specialist training in terms of breaking through those language barriers? And See, unfortunately, like English is the, is the abuser's language. Right. So all of these girls, whether it's even the smallest level of English, they still know a little Understand bit of English it. because it's an international thing. You get people from America from everywhere. Like we do work with the FBI and so forth where 
they've got ped- you know all these countries have got pedophiles and guys flying on from all over the world and english is the is the is the is the abuser's language if i can put it that way so there's communication that way um, um, our guys know a little bit of uh, depends which la- uh, country they're in and one of our undisclosed nations there's one where we don't as westerners go because they've got a form uh, of temple prostitution and so girls as young as five years old get forced into that no choice so our all our guys that do the undercover work there are locals so uh, uh, yes and and with um our guys do get training we've got a, a, a sister organization that we put guys that want to go full-time undercover first got to go through training um in the beginning we learned as we went learned a lot of things what not to do what didn't work but really and then got some professional help in um and we still got um updated uh, tra- uh, training that with our guys go through and uh, in the beginning i sp- spoke about the soft rescues but we've also got a other big part of our organization is what we call hard rescues hard rescues is where we work with the local federal police in the different countries um we've had some problems unfortunately with some of the local police um where they'll uh, um, when we in the beginning days when we we're trying to organize a raid um that's trying to raid and close down the whole place so it's not just risking an individual out of there but actually going in and closing the whole place down because we want to stop these you know we want to just more than just rescue the tools we want to stop the instruments that are causing them to get into that place so with the rights but in the beginning you know police would would organize a raid and somebody would have gone like in one place where our guys were sitting I won't mention the country but sitting still undercover in the brothel waiting for uh, uh, just waiting and next minute the police local police head of police walks in with his medals and everything walks in talks to the owner takes money bribe and walks out and we knew it was compromised but now with the federal police all these countries they've got actually uh, um, specialist divisions that deal with this and they'll sometimes fly in from a different part of the country and so the local police wouldn't even know what's going on yeah. and and so we've seen great success with that so our part there is we'll go in set up the um, our guys will go undercover we'll gather all the information because we want to make sure everything is all the t's are crossed and the i's are dotted so that when it goes to court that these guys can't wiggle their way out so we set certain things in place we've got evidence everything set in place and then on the day of the raid our guys will go undercover as if they they'll go to to want to um book the child out and once money has been exchanged and the child's in the opposition the raid happens they get closed down and i was so so fortunate that that one of the places that that, that i was so that I was honored to be with our undercover guys got shut down in 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 peria so and it was right in the heart of one of the main districts so and with those raids we find out a lot of times we might have interacted with two or three children that we found there but once we've done the raid you find there's six seven eight or more that we that we just didn't come across our path and in in um in one raid uh, in one raid we rescued 33 individuals so it's it's so the raids are really what it's one of the things we go we'll always do the soft rescues what we call soft you know when we go ourselves and cover but we want to see these places shut down and that's increasing like in the philippines we've really seen some major uh, some major breakthroughs there um like with the, with everything happening now unfortunately with the coronavirus you know people's finance is the thing that drives our rates because rates cost for us roughly about $10,000 per rate because there's so much of 
money that needs so much that goes into building the case and, and, and preparing it and getting it ready and, and, and so forth. So we've got about 20 rates just waiting to happen. There's finances that's keeping them from, from getting there. And, and, and I'll use the Philippines, for example. The guys have at one stage, they realized we were going to lose some of these girls going to be moved. And unfortunately, it was just at one of those moments when we were a bit stretched financially a bit that the whole team in the Philippines decided they won't get paid. They'd rather put that money towards a rescue. So our guys believe it with all their hearts. They've, they're all in with this. So for them to say, you know what, we'd rather skip getting paid. We'll work it out later. But we'd rather get this raid done. You know, I, I just, I'm just, I'll, every day I just sit in amazement that I can be part of such an amazing organization that's got such amazing people working for them. And you get quite a few successful prosecutions? Yes, yes, we do. And, and that's why over time we've learned really how to do our jobs and do it well. And so uh, um, the, 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 sometimes when it's a bit more difficult is the auxiliary parties involved. Uh, when they try and sometimes those parts take longer, sometimes you'll have people that weren't directly in, involved in the child's handover and so forth. When you're trying to go down the lines, sometimes you find that somebody gets off on a technicality, but directly people involved, we've got a huge success rate with that. So, yes. And do you have a lot of support from um, the local governments in these countries? We have from the from that specific federal uh, 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 federal departments, but um, but but not no financial support. But it's they need our help as well because, like I said, a lot of this is a Western created problem. And so I had people saying, "Well, you know, because we started out of Australia, like I said, eighteen years ago." The founder Tony Kerwin, what uh, um, was electrician here in in in, in Sunshine Coast, so. And uh, um, him and, and, and a real good mate were the ones who started it off. And, and, uh, um, but these countries do need our help. It's such a huge problem. And so, yes, we get help from the policing point of view and from sharing information and evidence, and, but um, no financial help, if, if that's more the question. But, yeah, no, we've, we've seen some real breakthroughs with the federal departments in all these different countries. And do you think um, with the changes that have come about to modern slavery reporting, um, do you think they'll have a positive impact on your organisation? Or I think not maybe specifically on our organisation, but more maybe on the effects where people have got to realise where, where do, where's the flow of money, who's being funded, where is it going? I think we've got to all be aware. This is a, this is a global problem. This is the second fastest illegal industry in the world. Uh, the, the second biggest, but the fastest growing illegal industry in the world. What you found is that uh, um, uh, a lot of these crime rings have worked out, if, if I'm a drug, drug supplier, I've got to create the drugs in some dingy place somewhere, then I've got to whole, have this all, so whole supply chain with different elements and get it to the client at the end of the day. But with this, they can take a child, have the child there, and that child will produce for them over and over and over, and the clients fly to them. They don't have to send the client child anyway. So they worked it out very quickly that it's a way more lucrative business. And when people think trafficking in slavery, we always think of back in the 1700s, 1800s when you had um, uh, um, African people taken from there, taken in chains on boats to England, to America, to everywhere. But if you think in monetary terms, the, in those days it was a rich man's type of thing it was uh, if we work it out two days it would a slave was about between 30 and 40 thousand dollars is what it cost you but now in today's society you can get a child for 90 dollars 
So it's it the it's just it's just opened up the market so big for these guys, and and I didn't I never thought I would be in a society where there's no difference between a bottle of a beer for these guys selling a bottle of beer or selling a human. And I'm sorry, but we've got to do something about it. And that's why I like what, uh, what, what you know to answer your questions. People have got to be aware of it. So the, it doesn't help us directly as an organization, but it brings awareness. And people have got to start thinking, okay, where's the flow of money going? Who are we funding? Who are we helping along the prices? Have we looked down the line of, of actually where, does the, where are these products coming from? Or where, you know? Where's my paper yeah, that's from? Yeah, ri that's right. Where's my call center based? And, that, that's yeah. exactly it. And But for us as an organization, um, West Bank, you know, there was some drama uh, that, that that came out in the media uh, um, about their governance, and so they set up actually a, a specialist committee to help them. And we, once again, um, our CEO uh, CEO uh, Fiona um, got asked to be on the panel. So we're on the panel there. So for us as organisation, at least we know we're helping uh, uh, Australian organisation to shine the light more on on, on the on the problem we 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 see every day. So as a community, what can we do to help reduce well, what we demand? Can do, yes, well, part of it is, 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 is awareness, like what we're doing today. That's why thank you so much. Thank you so much that I can be here sharing what we're talking about. Pleasure. Um, but yes, so uh, um, it's awareness. People got to be aware. And, and like I spoke at a, at a – and sometimes the awareness is, is, is right, right at your doorstep, you know, right in your face. It's, it's like I was speaking at a university – and explaining about this, and the one one lady came to me and said, "You know, I've, I've got to have a serious chat to my uncle. He travels four or five times on holiday mm. to to one of these places that you talked about, and I have had my suspicions, and I'm going to just ask him straight out, because you don't, it, unless we start talking about this openly, the more hidden it is, the more rep, uh, the prolific it, it grows. Mm. And so, firstly, is talk about it." Start sharing about it and how people can help. Also, like I said before, is money is our. The more money we have, the more we can go and do it. And uh, um, so, donations for us is, is that's that's our lifeline. And you know, to tell you that you know, when I told you in the beginning when we started this, when I was sitting next to this thirteen-year-old girl, you know, basically the age of my own daughter, sitting there, and her story was three months before I met her. Um, she was in school. She's got a ten-year-old uh, sister. Um, parents, her dad suddenly dies, unfortunately. The mum starts struggling, so she decides to pull herself out of school and go look for work in the city so that her sister could stay in school. So she goes and she gets railroaded. Wrong people get their hands on her and force her into this. So here I'm sitting next to this girl and I'm realizing I couldn't have even sat there if it wasn't for me. Part of the, the heroes for me are people, normal mums and dads who are willing to put their hand in their pocket and say, you know what? I want to be part of this journey and donate money to us. And I could have not sat there next to her if it wasn't for people that had donated and placed that so that I could be there. And so donations is our big thing. We've, we've got a thing called a Rescue Partner where people can give on a monthly basis. That helps us with our cash flow. Um, looking at about $48 a month, but that's Rescue Partners. But then there's also, we've, uh, we've got people also that say, you know what, I want to, how much does it cost to do one soft rescue? And that's $1,500 roughly. You know, we've had to work out numbers. Sometimes higher, but it's around $1,500. And so we've had people say, you know what, I want to I I give money to be able to effect a, a, a rescue. 
And then also we've been speaking to organizations and individuals. We've got, like I said, we've got those 20 raids that we need to do. So if there's people or even groups that can come together and said, you know what, we're going to start a little GoFundMe or a Razorly site. And between our friends, we've got the people that just talked about this week that they want to get together and raise enough money for a raid. Because a raid, they can not only rescue quite a lot more girls, but they can actually shut it down and send the perpetrators to jail. So those are the different ways. And you can go onto our website, which is uh, um, destinyrescue.org.au. And um, you'll see there is a, a donate button there. But and also talk about it, share on your post. You know, I'll gladly, I'll, I'll, you know, and like like I said before, I'll talk to anybody, whether it's one person or a hundred people. I'll talk about it because the more we talk about it, the more we share on our social media about it, the more it comes out to the into the open. Absolutely. When you shine the light on something, it comes to the open more and more. There's consequences for those that do it, but also more and more people get aware of it. The more the people start rising up and say, no, we shouldn't have this in our generation. But you would find um, even like myself, I've been to Thailand and Bali yeah, no. and all those sorts of places and you do see it. But mm. I think you probably sort of um, become naive to it and think, oh, well, it must be just normal for this country and not really know a way of being able to stop it. That's right. And, and a lot of times people just don't know. That's the thing. Mm. People don't know. They'll go into, because you'll have some of these, that's nearly like tourist attractions, like you've got Walking Street and a few others, like in, in Peria, and, and you'll have tourists walk through it, which, which it's like a tourist because you've got all these girls and lady boys and everybody standing out there outside of the bars. And, 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 and so it's nearly like a tourist attraction. But what they don't realize is, is yes, there's certain people that that's choices they've made that they want to do that as, you know, but a child never dreams to do that. A child doesn't have that choice. No. A child shouldn't be put in that position. And the thing is, a lot of people wouldn't even know because they tell the children to lie. Uh, uh, because they don't, it's a game. It's just one big fat game. So I've gone into quite a lot of these bars and different things. And, and you just see it because we look at the girls, we look at their eyes, we look at them. And they, they ask to, in some of these places, nothing left in the imagination. They ask, they're made to dance on these little platforms and different things. And, and you go in there and you see this, but and then you'll see a customer talking to them, they're all smiles, but as soon as the customer walks away or they turn their head, you can see the real expression on their face, that they don't want to be there, and but they're forced to do that. And and these these bars, and I, and I had one conversation with a bar owner, and he, was, he didn't know who I was, and he was bragging about, oh, this is bringing, putting money in their hands, and, that, and he didn't know I know the system. The system is that every girl has got to sell X amount of drinks every night, as in have customers buy them drinks. If they don't sell those drinks, the whole amount becomes a debt against them. So, and then they've also got to sleep with X amount of customers. That the bar also charges a bar fine to book them out, which is 100% the bars, but then the girl um, gets the money that she gets, piddly amount that she gets in the hotel room, but part of that goes back to the bar owners as well. So they'll keep, so not only are some of these women forced into it, but then they kept in debt bondage. And that and to keep them there longer and more. And, but the unfortunate thing, according to the World um, uh, um, Labor Organization, I think they guesstimate is about seven years is their life expectancy of children in sex, tra in sex trafficking because of different things that, because they're very vulnerable and different things happening to them. And, uh, is drug I, addiction an issue for them too? Yes, because what, what happens, thanks for asking that, that's a very good question. Uh, a lot of these girls, they get broken in and part of, the, to keep them compliant, they'll give them drugs. So they get addicted on that, and they also get them addicted on alcohol. 
like they'll force them to drink the whole time to keep them on a certain level of intoxication so that they stay compliant. And they also force them through there also through fear, through saying that they'll do harm to their family, to them. So there's different ways. They might not be in physical chains, but they're in emotional, psychological um, chains. So um, yes, drug addiction, and that's part of our health assessment is to see in what level these girls are. Presumably their housing conditions are. Yes, it's not good at all because, and, and, and depends, in certain places you get where they've got zero movement, they, they can't go out or anything, and uh, they stay in those places the whole time. Um, others, they get some form of movement, but they've always got to come back, and, and, but like I said, they've got other ways of controlling them. Mm. So they, the, and unfortunately, in some, some places, we've, we had, we, we rescued two girls, um, and it was just, we basically just stopped in play in the middle of nowhere, and thought we'll check this place out, we'll go there. And although they could kind of move around, they couldn't, they couldn't escape it because the local police owned that business. So they had nowhere to go until we came and we rescued them out of it. And so with your um, rehabilitation program, have you found that um, any of the girls have suffered long-term emotional damage as a result of this or um, are you finding success in your sort of mental health program? No, we, yes. No, we find the program we've got because we'll do even art therapy and a whole bunch of stuff and we, we journey with them. Is It's amazing how resilient these girls are. I, you know, uh, I've used the word euro a few times for people that are willing to give money and so forth, but these girls are also. The fact that they're willing to, 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 to break these emotional shackles off, we give them the tools to do it, but that they're willing to say, no, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after my destiny. You know. I'm going to go after my life. So uh, we've got a big success rate with it. Yes, there's some girls that will take longer than others. Everybody is a unique individual. So we've just got to work with, with the individual and work it through. I love that you're providing a community too that supports them. Yes. They've all been through it and they're yes. all there to support that's each right. other. That's right. And we find that even some of the girls that just can't move back to, it's not safe to go back to their families or, or their villages, they'll actually Being find accommodations after they've gone through our program. They'll actually go together and find a unit and still still could stay connected with the community and go out and find jobs and so forth. So, Yes. No, we, 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 we're very proud of what we've done, but there's so much more still to do. There's other countries we want to launch into that because in certain countries we've been realizing we've been rescuing girls that have been trafficked freaked from other country into that country. Like in Cambodia, there's girls that have been trafficked from neighboring countries. So we'd like to expand in there. Uh, we've got one of our works that's undisclosed at the moment uh, is actually total preventative. We actually we found we were risking so many of, of children that have been trafficked from that country into another one that we actually set up a border, we were with the border patrol. So we'll actually work with the border police in this country and in certain hotspots where, where they cross the border and we'll actually do interviews and assess and, and we actually prevent girls, children from being trafficked across the border. So do you find though that in that instance, they then, um, I guess, resort to moving underground or moving to another place, or do, does it really actually ever stop them? No, they. It does because firstly, people get caught, mm. and and it, I know it's a huge problem. Like we said, every twenty six seconds, but you've got to start somewhere. You know the yeah. old saying: How do you? I know it's, um, I've never ate an elephant, but how do you eat an elephant? <laughs> It's one bite at a time. I don't know who thought of that one. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it, it, it's, it's for us as one child at a time. 
and you can sometimes look at the problem and go, this is so big. But yes, but for, for that child, it was 100% difference. So for that child, they are not in that hell anymore and they can choose their own destiny. And that's how we look at it. You can't save everybody, can no, you? but we try our hardest to. Mm. <laughs> we try our hardest to. And, and that's the most difficult thing for us is we've had times when, when we were trying to get a raid done and, and just because of, you know, you know, cash flow and different things, waiting, waiting, waiting. And, and you know, we had unfortunate stories like when we got there, we rescued some of the girls, but one girl got murdered the day before. So we were one day short. And that's what, you know, that's what drives me. It's, it's, it's if, if we were in a position, if we were just one day earlier, we would have been able to save her. And, and so, yes, no, we won't stop. And, um, and for us, it is, it is important that we're there and every child deserves that opportunity. Like we, um, our, our head of uh, the Philippines, um, you know, the one story that sits with him, he rescued this girl and, and she was just elated to be a, a rescued, you know, out of the position she was. And then, but then with her big smile and then, and then she turned around and looked sternly at him and just kind of scolded him. She said, where were you? Where were you four months ago when I got forced into this? She said, I was crying every night, calling out for help. Where were you? And that's what we drives us. We want to be there to be able to be the ones that take them out of that as soon as possible. Yeah, you're doing such an amazing job. And, I mean, for us, like you've mentioned a few things of how people can get involved and help and um, you sort of mentioned the website and donations. Do you guys hold um, any fundraiser events or things like that that we can um, be a part of? Or yes, yes, no. We 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 uh, we look at different fundraising events. Unfortunately, with COVID, that's put everything to stop. <laughs> I had a few things lined up that I had to just put a pin in it. And once that lifts, yes, we'll have fundraising events uh, um, in different forms and and ways uh, that people can get involved with. Definitely, so. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll let you know once once we get these restrictions lifted and we can start gathering in more than just a couple of people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, happy to give you any help that we can. No, thank you so much. And once again, thank you so much for the opportunity that I could come and share our story. And like I said, I can talk for hours on this because there's so much that we're actually involved with. But yes, no, thank you so time, much. Mark. Yeah, thank Appreciate you, Appreciate it. It's no. been amazing to hear about the wonderful work that Destiny Rescue and your team are doing. No, thank you so much. That's all for today. Until next time, happy podcasting. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, check out our other episodes and all things governance at www.threewiseowls.com.au.